Disc 7. He could feel Obi-Wan shift uncomfortably at his shoulder, having trouble maintaining his silence. Mace Windu leaned back heavily, his strong brow furrowing. This is difficult to accept, Qui-Gon. I do not understand how the Sith could have returned without us knowing. Hard to see, the dark side is, Yoda said with a small snort. Discover who this assassin is? We must. Perhaps he will reveal himself again, Kiadi Mundi suggested with a nod to Qui-Gon. Yes, Mace Windu agreed. This attack was with purpose, that much is clear. The Queen is his target. Since he failed once, he may try again. Yoda lifted one skinny arm, pointing at Qui-Gon. With this Naboo Queen you must stay, Qui-Gon. Protect her you must. The others murmured their approval, evidencing the confidence they felt in the Jedi Master's abilities. Still, Qui-Gon said nothing. We shall use all our resources to unravel this mystery and discover the identity of your attacker, Mace Windu advised. One hand lifted in dismissal. May the Force be with you, Qui-Gon Jinn. May the Force be with you, Yoda echoed. Obi-Wan turned to leave. He stopped when Qui-Gon did not follow, but instead remained standing before the council. Obi-Wan held his breath, knowing what was coming. Yoda cocked his head questioningly. More to say, have you, Qui-Gon Jinn? With your permission, my master, the Jedi replied, gaze steady. I have encountered a vergence in the Force. Yoda's eyes widened slightly. A vergence, you say? Located around a person? Mace Windu asked quickly. Qui-Gon nodded. A boy. His cells have the highest concentration of midi-chlorians I have ever seen in a life form. He paused. It is possible he was conceived by midi-chlorians. There was a shocked silence this time. Qui-Gon Jinn was suggesting the impossible, that the boy was conceived not by human contact, but by the essence of all life, by the connectors to the Force itself, the midi-chlorians. Comprising collective consciousness and intelligence, the midi-chlorians formed the link between everything living and the Force. But there was more that troubled the Jedi Council. There was a prophecy, so old its origins had long since been lost, that a chosen one would appear, imbued with an abundance of midi-chlorians, a being strong with the Force and destined to alter it forever. It was Mace Windu who gave voice to the Council's thoughts. "'You refer to the prophecy,' he said quietly, "'of the one who will bring balance to the Force. "'You believe it is this boy.' Qui-Gon hesitated. "'I don't presume, but you do!' Yoda snapped challengingly. Revealed your opinion is, Qui-Gon. The Jedi Master took a deep breath. I request the boy be tested. Again, there was silence as the members of the Council exchanged glances, communicating without words. Eyes shifted back to Qui-Gon. To be trained as a Jedi, you request for him? Yoda asked softly. Finding him was the will of the Force. Qui-Gon pressed ahead recklessly. I have no doubt of it. There is too much happening here for it to be anything else. Mace Windu held up one hand, bringing the debate to a close. Bring him before us, then. Yoda nodded somberly, eyes closing. Tested he will be. It is time to be going, Your Majesty. Senator Palpatine advised, moving to gather up a pile of data cards from his desk. Queen Amidala rose, and Anakin hurried back to his seat beside Jar Jar, giving the Gungan another warning glance for good measure. Jar Jar looked hurt. Me not gonna tell them, he protested. 
A moment later, Palpatine ushered the queen and her handmaidens from his office and into the antechamber, where the boy and the Gungan sat waiting. The senator went by them without a glance and was out the door immediately. Queen Amidala slowed just a fraction as she passed Anakin. "'Why don't you come with us?' the handmaiden Rabe said, without looking at him, her voice a whisper. "'This time you won't have to listen from behind a door.' Anakin and Jar Jar exchanged a startled, chagrined look, then rose and followed after. 17. While the others waited without, Queen Amidala, accompanied by her handmaidens, retreated to her chambers long enough to change into yet another ensemble, this one clearly meant to emphasize her status as leader of the Nabu. She emerged wearing a broad-shouldered cloak of crimson velvet trimmed with gold lace, and a crown of woven cloth horns and tassels with a center plate of hammered gold. The gown and headdress lent both size and majesty, and she walked past a wandering Anakin and Jar Jar, as if come down out of the clouds to mix with mortals, all cool grace and extraordinary beauty, aloof and untouchable. Erte and Rabe, the handmaidens who had accompanied her earlier, were present again, and they trailed the queen in a silent glide, wrapped in their crimson hooded robes. Again, Anakin looked for Padme and did not find her. Please lead the way, Amidala requested of Palpatine, beckoning the boy, the Gungan, and Captain Panaka to accompany them. They walked from Palpatine's quarters down a series of corridors that connected to other chambers and, eventually, to other buildings. The halls were empty of almost everyone, save for a scattering of Republic guards, and the company proceeded unchallenged. Anakin glanced around in awe at the tall ceilings and high windows, at the forest of buildings visible without, imagining what it would be like to live in a place like Coruscant. When they reached the Senate chamber, he had cause to wonder anew. The chamber had the look of an arena, circular and massive, with doors opening off exterior rampways at various levels above the main floor. At the center of the chamber, a tall, slender column supported the Supreme Chancellor's platform, a broad, semi-enclosed area that allowed Valorum, who was already present, to sit or stand as he chose in the company of his vice-chair and staff. All around the smooth interior walls of the arena, Senate boxes jutted from hangar bays off entry doors, some fixed in place while their senators conferred with staff and visitors, others floating just off their moorings. When a senator requested permission to speak and was recognized by the chair, his box would float to the center of the arena, close to the Supreme Chancellor's podium, where it remained until the speech was concluded. Anakin picked up on all this in a matter of seconds, trailing the Queen and Palpatine to the entry doors opening onto the Naboo Senate box, which sat waiting at its docking. Banners and curtains hung from the rounded ceiling in brilliant streamers, and indirect lighting glowed softly from every corner, brightening the rotunda's cavernous interior. Droids bustled along the exterior rampways, carrying messages from one delegation to the next, the movement of their metal bodies giving the chamber the look of a complex piece of machinery. "'If the Federation moves to defer the motion, Your Majesty,' Senator Palpatine was saying to the Queen, his head bent close, his voice low and insistent, "'I beg of you to ask for a resolution to end this session and call for the election of a new Supreme Chancellor.' Amidala did not look at him, continuing to advance toward the Nabu box. "'I wish I had your confidence in this proposal, Senator,' she replied quietly. "'You must force a new election for Supreme Chancellor,' Palpatine pressed. "'I promise you there are many who will support us. It is our best chance.' He glanced toward the podium and Valorum. "'Our only chance.' A murmur had risen from the assembled as they caught sight of Amidala standing at the entry to the Nabu box, robes of office flowing out behind her, head erect, face calm. If she heard the change in tenor of the level of conversation around her, she gave no sign. Her eyes shifted momentarily to Palpatine. "'You truly believe Chancellor Valorum will not bring our motion to a vote?' she asked quietly. Palpatine shook his head, his high brow furrowing. He is distracted. 
He is afraid. He will be of no help. Rabe handed a small metal view screen to Anakin and Jar Jar and motioned for them to wait where they were. Stepping into the Senate box with Palpatine, Amidala was joined by her handmaidens and Panaka. Anakin was disappointed at not being included, but grateful when he discovered that the view screen Rabe had provided allowed him to see and hear what was happening in the Naboo box. She's going to ask the Senate for help, Jar Jar, he whispered, leaning over excitedly. What do you think? The Gungan wrinkled up his billed mouth and shook his floppy-eared head. Me think this bombardani. Too many peoples to be agreeing on the one thing. The Naboo box detached from its docking and floated a short distance toward the Supreme Chancellor's podium, waiting for permission to advance all the way. Palpatine, Amidala, and the rest of the occupants were seated now, facing forward. Balorum nodded his short-cropped white head in the direction of Palpatine. The chair recognizes the senator from the sovereign system of Naboo. The Naboo box glided to the center of the arena, and Palpatine rose to his feet, taking in the assemblage with a slow, sweeping gaze that drew all eyes toward his. Supreme Chancellor, delegates of the Senate, his voice boomed, quieting the chamber. A tragedy has occurred on my home world of Naboo. We have become caught up in a dispute, one of which you are all well aware. It began with a taxation of trade routes, and has evolved into an oppressive and lawless occupation of a peaceful world. The Trade Federation bears responsibility for this injustice, and must be made to answer. A second box was rushing forward by now, this one bearing the markings of the Trade Federation, and occupied by the Federation's senator, Lot Dodd, and a handful of trade barons in attendance. This is outrageous, the Trade Federation senator thundered, gesturing toward the podium and Valorum. A lean, wizened Nemoidian, he loomed out of the low-railed box like a willowy tree. I object to Senator Palpatine's ridiculous assertions, and ask that he be silenced at once. Valorum's white head swiveled briefly in Lotdod's direction, and one hand lifted. The chair does not recognize the senator from the Trade Federation at this time. The Supreme Chancellor's voice was soft but steady. Return to your station. Lot Dodd looked as if he might say something more, but then he lowered himself back into his seat as his box slowly retreated. To state our allegations in full, Palpatine continued, I present Queen Amidala, the recently elected ruler of the Naboo, to speak on our behalf. He stepped aside, and Amidala rose to a light scattering of applause. Moving to the front of the box, she faced Valorum. Honorable representatives of the Republic, distinguished delegates, and Supreme Chancellor Valorum, I come to you under the gravest of circumstances. In repudiation and violation of the laws of the Republic, the Naboo have been invaded and subjugated by force, by droid armies of the Trade Federation. Lotdod was on his feet again, voice raised angrily. I object! This is nonsense! Where is the proof? He did not wait for recognition as he turned to the chamber at large. I recommend a commission be sent to Naboo to ascertain the truth of these allegations. Valorum shook his head. Overruled. Lotdod sighed heavily and threw up his hands as if with that single word his life had become hopeless. Your Honor, you cannot allow us to be condemned without granting our request for an impartial observation. It is against all the rules of procedure. He scanned the chamber for help, and there was a murmur of agreement from the delegates. A third box glided forward to join those of Naboo and the Trade Federation. The chair recognized Ax Mo, the senator from the planet of Malastare. Stocky and slow-moving, his three eye-stalks waving gently, Ax Mo put the thick, heavy pads of his hands on his hips. The senator from Malastare concurs with the honorable delegate from the Trade Federation. His voice was thick and gnarly. 
a commission, once requested, must be appointed where there is a dispute of the sort we have encountered here. It is the law. Valorum hesitated. The point is... He trailed off uncertainly, left the sentence unfinished, and turned to confer with his vice-chair, identified on the printed register as Masamida. Amida was of a species Anakin had never encountered, human in form, but with a head swollen by a pillow of cushioning tissue, narrowing into a pair of tentacles that drooped over either shoulder and feelers that jutted from above the forehead. Together with their aides, the chair and vice-chair engaged in a hurried discussion. Anakin and Jar Jar exchanged worried glances as Palpatine's voice reached them through the handheld viewscreen's tiny speaker. "'Enter the bureaucrats, the true rulers of the Republic, and on the payroll of the Trade Federation, I might add,' he was whispering to the Queen. Anakin could see their heads bent close. Palpatine's tone was heavy. "'This is where Chancellor Valorum's strength will disappear.' Valorum had moved back to the podium, a worn look on his face. "'The point is conceded. Section 523A takes precedence here.' He nodded in the direction of the Nabu box. "'Queen Amidala of the Nabu, will you defer your motion in order to allow a Senate commission to explore the validity of your accusations?' Anakin could see the Queen stiffen in surprise, and when she spoke— her voice was edged with anger and determination. "'I will not defer,' she declared, eyes locked on Valorum. "'I have come before you to resolve this attack on Nabu sovereignty now. "'I was not elected queen to watch my people suffer and die "'while you discussed this invasion in committee. "'If the Chancellor is not capable of action, "'I suggest new leadership is needed.' "'She paused.' I move for a vote of no confidence in the Supreme Chancellor. Voices rose immediately in response, some in support, some in protest. Senators and spectators alike came to their feet, loud mutterings quickly building to shouts that echoed through the cavernous chamber. Valorum stood speechless at the podium, stunned and disbelieving. He stared at Amidala, his face etched in sudden shock as the impact of her words registered. Amidala faced him boldly, waiting. Masamida moved in front of Valorum, taking charge of the podium. Order! he bellowed, his strange head swelling. We shall have order! The assembly quieted then, and the delegates reseated themselves, responding to Amida's command. Anakin noted that the Trade Federation box had maneuvered into position close beside the Nabu box. Lot Dodd exchanged a quick glance with Palpatine, but neither spoke. A new box floated to the center of the chamber, and the vice-chair recognized Edsel Bargan, the senator from Runa. Runa seconds the motion for a vote of no confidence in Chancellor Valorum, Bargan intoned in a sibilant voice. Masamida did not look pleased. The motion has been seconded. He turned now to Valorum, speaking quickly to him, keeping his voice low and his words hidden behind his hand. Valorum looked at him uncomprehendingly, eyes distant and lost. "'There must be no delays,' Axmo of Malastare declared in a loud voice, drawing Masamida's attention back to him. "'The motion is on the floor and must be voted on at once.' Lot Dodd was back on his feet. I move the motion be sent to the Procedures Committee for further study. The Republic Senate erupted anew, chanting loudly, Vote now! Vote now! Masamida was deep in discussion with Supreme Chancellor Valorum, hands on his shoulders as if to bring him back from wherever he'd gone by sheer force of determination. You see, Your Majesty, the tide is with us, Anakin heard Palpatine announce quietly to the Queen. The boy's eyes dropped to the viewscreen. Valorum will be voted out, I assure you, and they will elect a new chancellor, a strong chancellor, one who will not let our tragedy be ignored. Masamida was back at the podium, addressing the chamber. The Supreme Chancellor requests a recess. 
Shouts rose from the delegates, echoing across the chamber in waves as Valorum stared at Senator Palpatine and Queen Amidala. And even from where he stood watching now at the entry doors to the Naboo box, Anakin Skywalker could discern the look of betrayal registered on the Supreme Chancellor's anguished face. Less than an hour later, Anakin burst through the open doors of the Queen's antechamber in search of Padme and found himself face to face with Amidala instead. The Queen was standing alone in the center of the room, her eyes directed toward him, her robed form radiant and solitary. "'Excuse me,' Anakin said quickly. "'Your Majesty?' She nodded silently, white face smooth and perfect. "'I was looking for Padme,' he continued, standing rooted in place just inside the doorway, undecided on whether to stay or go. He glanced around doubtfully. "'Qui-Gon says he will take me before the Jedi Council. I wanted Padme to know.' A small smile flitted across the Queen's painted lips. "'Padme isn't here, Anakin. I sent her on an errand.' "'Oh,' he said quietly. "'But I will give her your message.' The boy grinned. "'Maybe I will become a Jedi Knight!' he exclaimed, unable to contain his excitement. Amidala nodded. "'Maybe you will. I think Padme would like that.' "'I think she would, too.' Anakin backed away. "'I... Didn't mean to. He searched for the word and couldn't find it. Good luck, Anakin, the queen said softly. Do well. He wheeled away with a broad smile and was out the door. The day passed quickly for Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Sunset found them standing together on a balcony outside the Jedi Temple overlooking Coruscant. Neither had said anything to the other for some time. They had collected Anakin Skywalker from Senator Palpatine's quarters, following his return from the Republic Senate, and brought him before the Council for examination. Now they were awaiting a decision. As far as Obi-Wan was concerned, it was a foregone conclusion. The young Jedi was frustrated and embarrassed for his master, who had clearly overstepped his bounds once again. Qui-Gon had been right in his suspicion that the boy was possessed of an inordinately high midi-chlorian count. Obi-Wan had run the test himself. But that alone was not enough to demonstrate Anakin was the chosen one. If there even was such a one, which Obi-Wan seriously doubted. There were hundreds of these old prophecies and legends handed down through the centuries as a part of Jedi lore. In any case, Qui-Gon was relying on instinct once again— and instinct was useful only if born of the Force, and not of emotion. Qui-Gon was insistent on championing the causes of underdogs, of empathizing with creatures he found in some peculiar, inscrutable way he alone could comprehend, significant in the scheme of things. Obi-Wan studied his mentor surreptitiously. Why did he insist on pursuing these hopeless causes? The Council might find the boy possessed of more midi-chlorians than normal, but they would never accept him for Jedi training. The rules were clear and established, and the reasons supporting them were proven and unassailable. Training for the Order after more than a year of life was doomed to fail. At nine years of age, Anakin Skywalker was simply too old. But Qui-Gon would not let it go. He would brace the Council once again, and the result would be the same as it had been on so many other occasions. Qui-Gon would be denied, and his stature as a Jedi Master would fall a little further. Obi-Wan moved to where the older Jedi stood staring out at the endless horizon of skyscrapers. He stood close to him, silent for a moment longer before speaking. "'The boy will not pass the Council's tests, Master,' he said softly. "'And you know it. He is far too old.' Qui-Gon kept his gaze directed toward the sunset. "'Anakin will become a Jedi, I promise you.' Obi-Wan sighed wearily. "'Don't defy the Council Master, not again.' The older man seemed to go very still, perhaps even to stop breathing, before he turned to his protege. "'I will do what I must, Obi-Wan.' 
would you have me be any other way? Master, you could be sitting on the council by now if you would just follow the code. You deserve to be sitting on the council. Obi-Wan's frustration surfaced in a burst of momentary anger. His eyes sought the others and held them. They will not go along with you this time. Qui-Gon Jinn studied him a moment, then smiled. You still have much to learn, my young Padawan. Obi-Wan bit off his reply and looked away, thinking to himself that Qui-Gon was right, but that maybe this time he should consider taking his own advice. Inside, Anakin Skywalker faced the Jedi Council, standing in the same place Qui-Gon Jinn had stood some hours earlier. He was nervous at first, brought into the chamber by Qui-Gon, then left alone with the twelve members of the council. Standing in the mosaic circle and ringed by the silent assemblage, awestruck and uncertain of what was expected of him, he felt vulnerable and exposed. The eyes of the Jedi were distant as they viewed him, but he sensed they were looking not past him, but inside. They began to question him then, without preliminary introductions or explanations, without expending any effort at all to make him feel comfortable or welcome. He knew some of them by name, for Qui-Gon had described a few, and he was quick to put faces to names. They questioned him at great length, testing memory and knowledge, seeking insights at which he could only guess. They knew of his existence as a slave. They knew of his background on Tatooine, of his mother and his friends, of his pod-racing, of Watto, of everything factual and past, of the order of his life. Now Mace Windu was looking at a screen the boy could not see, and Anakin was giving names to images that flashed across its liquid surface. Images appeared in Anakin's mind with such speed he was reminded of the strange blur of desert and mountains whipping past his cockpit during a pod race. A bantha, a hyperdrive, a proton blaster. The images whizzed through his mind as he named them off. A Republic cruiser, a Rodian cup, a hot speeder. The screen went blank, and Mace looked up at the boy. Good, good, young one, the wizened alien called Yoda praised, the sleepy eyes fixed on him, intent behind their lids. How feel you? Cold, sir, Anakin confessed. Afraid, are you? The boy shook his head. No, sir. Afraid to give up your life? The dark one called Mace Windu asked, leaning forward slightly. I don't think so, he answered, then hesitated. Something about the answer didn't feel right. Yoda blinked and his long ears cocked forward. See through you we can, he said quietly. Be mindful of your feelings, Mace Windu said. The old one called Kiadimundi stroked his beard. Your thoughts dwell on your mother. Anakin felt his stomach lurch at the mention of her. He bit his lip. I miss her. Yoda exchanged glances with several others on the council. Afraid to lose her, I think? Anakin flushed. What's that got to do with anything? he asked defensively. Yoda's sleepy eyes fixed on him. Everything. To the dark side, fear leads. To anger and to hate. To suffering. I am not afraid, the boy snapped irritably, anxious to leave this discussion and move on. Yoda did not seem to hear him. The deepest commitment a Jedi must have. The most serious mind. Much fear in you, I sense, young one. Anakin took a deep breath and let it out slowly. When he spoke, his voice was calm again. I am not afraid. Yoda studied him a moment. Then continue we will, he said softly, and the examination resumed. 18. Jar Jar Binks of the Gungans and Queen Amidala of the Nabu stood together at a window that ran floor to ceiling in the Queen's chambers, 
looking out at the gleaming spires of Coruscant. An odd pairing at best, the queen regal and composed, the Gungan awkward and jittery. They kept company in silence and watched the sunset color the sky a brilliant gold that reflected here and there off the flat metal and glass surfaces of the city in sudden blinding explosions of light. They had returned from the Republic Senate some hours ago, Jar Jar, Anakin, the Queen, and her handmaidens. They had come back principally because there seemed to be nothing else they could do to change the course of events regarding the future of Naboo. Senator Palpatine had stayed behind to politic with his colleagues over the selection of a new Supreme Chancellor, and Captain Panaka had remained with him, asked by the Queen to bring her news when there was any to offer. None had been forthcoming as yet. Now Anakin was gone as well, taken by Qui-Gon to the Jedi Temple, where he was to meet with the Council, and no one had seen Padme in some time. So Jar Jar had rattled around in Palpatine's quarters, rather like a stray Kadu, until Amidala had taken pity on him and invited him to sit with her. She had gone into seclusion on her return, changing out of her Senate robes into a less imposing gold-trimmed black gown that emphasized how slender and small she really was. She wore an inverted crescent-shaped crown with a beaded gold medallion arced down over her smooth forehead, but even so she stood several centimeters shorter than the Gungan. She was clearly in pain, her eyes so sad and distant that it made Jar Jar want to comfort her. If it had been Annie or Padme, he might have reached over and patted her on the head, but he was not about to try that with the Queen. There were no guards, but her handmaidens, Erte and Rabe, cloaked in their crimson-hooded robes and forever watchful, stood in waiting near the door, and he was certain there were guards somewhere close as well. He was careless of many things, oblivious to others, and in general given over to enjoying life in a haphazard way, but he was no fool. Finally, though, he could ignore the situation no longer. He shuffled his feet and cleared his throat, drawing the queen's attention. She turned, her white-painted face with red dots on each cheek and a red slash in the center of her lower lip, doll-like and expressionless. "'Me wonder sometimes why the gods invent pain,' he offered sympathetically. Amidala's cool gaze was steady and clear. "'To motivate us, I imagine.' "'You think you people gonna die?' he asked, working his build mouth around the bitter words as if he could taste them. The queen considered the question and shook her head slowly. I don't know, Jar Jar. Gungan's gonna get pasted too, eh? I hope not. Jar Jar straightened, and a fierce pride brightened his eyes. Gungan's no die without a fight. We warriors. We got a grand army. Army? she repeated, a hint of surprise in her soft voice. A grand army! Lot of Gungans! They come from all over! That why no swamp beings give us trouble! Too many Gungans! Got a big energy shields too! Nothing get through! Got a energy balls? Fly out of slings and splat electricity and goo! Bomb bad stuff! Gungans no ever give up to Makaniks or anyone. He paused, shrugged uncomfortably. That why Nabu no like us, maybe. She was studying him closely now, her detached gaze replaced by something more intense, as if she were turning an unexpected thought over in her mind. She was preparing to speak to that thought, he believed, when Senator Palpatine and Captain Panaka strode through the doorway in a rush. "'Your Highness,' Captain Panaka greeted, barely able to contain his excitement as both men bowed quickly and straightened. "'Senator Palpatine has been nominated to succeed Valorum as Supreme Chancellor.' Palpatine's smile was contained and deferential, and his voice carefully modulated as he spoke. "'A surprise, to be sure, but a welcome one,' I promise, Your Majesty, if I am elected, I will restore democracy to the Republic. I will put an end to the corruption that has plagued the Senate. The Trade Federation will lose its influence over the bureaucrats, and our people will be freed from the tyranny of this unlawful and onerous invasion. 
Who else has been nominated? Amidala asked abruptly, cutting him short. Bail Antilles of Alderaan and Axmo of Malastare, Panaka told her, avoiding Palpatine's eyes. The senator was quick to recover from the unexpected interruption of his speech. Your Majesty, I feel confident that our situation will generate strong support for us when the voting takes place tomorrow. He paused meaningfully. I will be Chancellor, I promise you. The Queen did not look impressed. She moved past Jar Jar to the window and stared out at the lights of the city as they brightened with the fading of the sunset. I fear by the time you have taken control of the bureaucrats, Senator, there will be nothing left of our cities, our people, or our way of life to salvage. Palpatine looked taken aback. I understand your concern, Your Majesty. Unfortunately, the Federation has seized possession of our planet. It will be nearly impossible to immediately dislodge them. Perhaps. Amidala turned from the window to face him. Her eyes were bright with anger and determination. With the Senate in transition, there is nothing more I can do here. She walked to where he stood with Panaka. Senator, this is your arena. I must return now to mine. I have decided to go back to Naboo. My place is with my people. Go back? Palpatine was aghast, his pale face stricken. Panaka looked quickly from one to the other. Your Majesty, be realistic. You will be in great danger. They will force you to sign the treaty. The Queen was calm and composed. I will sign no treaty. My fate will be no different from that of my people. She turned to Panaka. Captain! Panaka snapped to attention. Yes, Your Highness. Ready my ship. Palpatine stepped forward quickly to intercept her. Please, Your Majesty, stay here where it is safe. Amidala's voice was edged with iron. No place is safe if the Senate doesn't condemn this invasion. It is clear to me now that the Republic no longer functions. Her eyes locked on his. If you win the election, Senator, I know you will do everything possible to stop the Federation. I pray you will find a way to restore sanity and compassion to the Republic. She moved past him in a smooth, gliding motion and was out the door, her handmaidens and Panaka at her heels. Jar Jar Binks followed, shuffling after as unobtrusively as he could manage, glancing just once at Palpatine in passing. He was surprised to catch the barest glimpse of a smile on the senator's shrewd face. In the Temple of the Jedi, Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Anakin Skywalker stood before the Council of Twelve. Clustered together at the center of the speaker's platform, they faced the circle of chairs in which the members of the Council were seated and awaited their decision on the boy. Outside, the light was pale and wan as twilight replaced sunset, and night began its slow descent across the city. "'Finished we are with our examination of the boy,' Yoda advised in his guttural, whispery voice. His eyes were lidded and sleepy, his pointed ears pricked forward. Correct you were, Qui-Gon. Mace Windu nodded his concurrence, his dark, smooth face expressionless in the dim light. His cells contain a very high concentration of midichlorians. There was emphasis on the word very as he spoke. The force is strong in him, Kiadimundi agreed. Qui-Gon felt a rush of satisfaction on hearing the words, a vindication of his insistence on freeing the boy from his life on Tatooine and bringing him here. "'He is to be trained, then,' he declared in triumph. There was an uncomfortable silence as the council members looked from one to the other. "'No,' Mace Windu said quietly. "'He will not be trained.' Anakin's face crumpled, and there were tears in his eyes as he glanced quickly at Qui-Gon. No, the Jedi Master repeated in disbelief, shocked almost speechless. He tried hard to ignore the I-told-you-so look on Obi-Wan's young face. Mace Windu nodded, dark eyes steady. He is too old. 
There is already too much anger in him. Qui-Gon was incensed, but he held himself in check. This decision made no sense. It could not be allowed to stand. He is the Chosen One, he insisted vehemently. You must see it. Yoda cocked his round head contemplatively. Clouded this boy's future is, masked by his youth. Qui-Gon searched the faces of the other members of the Jedi Council, but found no help. He straightened and nodded his acceptance of their decision. Very well. I will train him then. I take Anakin Skywalker as my Padawan apprentice. Out of the corner of his eye he saw Obi-Wan stiffen in shock. He saw as well the sudden flicker of hope that crossed Anakin's face. He did not respond to either, keeping his gaze directed toward the council. "'An apprentice you already have, Qui-Gon,' Yoda pointed out sharply. "'Impossible to take on a second. "'We forbid it,' Mace Windu advised darkly. "'Obi-Wan is ready,' Qui-Gon declared. "'I am,' his protege agreed heatedly, "'trying unsuccessfully to mask his surprise and disappointment "'in his mentor's unexpected decision. "'I am ready to face the trials.' "'Yoda's sleepy eyes shifted.' Ready so early, are you? What know you of ready? Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan exchanged quick, hard looks, and the measure of their newfound antagonism was palpable. The breach in their relationship was widening so quickly it could no longer be mapped. Qui-Gon took a deep breath and turned back to the council. Obi-Wan is headstrong, and he has much to learn still about the living force, but he is capable— there is little more he will learn from me. Yoda shook his wizened face. Our own counsel we will keep on who is ready, Qui-Gon. More to learn he has. Now is not the time for this, Mace Windu stated with finality. The Senate will vote tomorrow for a new Supreme Chancellor. Queen Amidala returns home, we are advised, which will put pressure on the Federation and could widen the confrontation. Those responsible will be quick to act on these new events. Drawn out of hiding, her attackers will be, Yoda whispered. Events are moving too fast for distractions such as this, Kiadi Mundi added. Mace Windu took a quick look about at the others sitting on the council, then turned once more to Qui-Gon. Go with the Queen to Naboo and discover the identity of this dark warrior who attacked you, be it Sith or otherwise. That is the clue we need to unravel this mystery. Yoda's nod was slow and brooked no argument. Decided later, young Skywalker's fate will be. Qui-Gon took a deep breath, filled with frustration and disappointment at the unexpected turn of events. Anakin would not be trained, even though he had offered to take the boy as his padawan. Worse, he had offended Obi-Wan, not intentionally, perhaps, but deeply, nevertheless. The rift was not permanent, but it would take time for the younger man's pride to heal, time they could not afford. He bowed his acquiescence to the council. I brought Anakin here. He must stay in my charge. He has nowhere else to go. Mace Windu nodded. He is your ward, Qui-Gon. We do not dispute that. But train him not. Yoda admonished sharply. Take him with you, but train him not. The words stung, the force behind them unmistakable. Qui-Gon flinched inwardly, but said nothing. Protect the queen, Mace Windu added, but do not intercede if it comes to war until we have the Senate's approval. There was a long silence as the members of the council regarded Qui-Gon Jinn gravely. He stood there, trying to think of something more to say, some other argument to offer. Outside, the last of the twilight faded into darkness, and the lights of the city began to blink on like watchful eyes. "'May the Force be with you,' Yoda said finally, signaling to the Jedi Master that the audience was over. The Jedi and the boy, having been made aware of Amidala's imminent departure for Naboo, went directly to the landing platform where the Queen's transport was anchored to await her arrival. 
The shuttle ride over was marked by a strained silence between the Jedi and a discomfort in the boy he could not dispel. He looked down at his feet most of the time, wishing he could think of a way to stop Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan from being angry at each other. When they disembarked from the shuttle at the landing platform, R2-D2 was already bustling about. The little droid beeped at Anakin cheerfully, then wandered over to the edge of the rampway to look down at the traffic. In doing so, he leaned out too far and tumbled over. Anakin gasped, but a second later the astromech droid reappeared, boosted back onto the rampway by his onboard jets. On hearing R2-D2's ensuing flurry of chirps and whistles, the boy smiled in spite of himself. At the head of the loading ramp, Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi were engaged in a heated discussion. Wind whipped down the canyons of the city's towering buildings, hiding their words from the boy. Carefully, he edged closer so that he could listen in. "'It is not disrespect, Master,' Obi-Wan was saying vehemently. "'It is the truth.' "'From your point of view, perhaps?' Qui-Gon's face was hard and tight with anger. The younger Jedi's voice dropped a notch. "'The boy is dangerous. They all sense it. Why can't you?' His fate is uncertain, but he is not dangerous, Qui-Gon corrected sharply. The Council will decide Anakin's future. That should be enough for you. He turned away dismissively. Now get on board. Obi-Wan wheeled away and stalked up the ramp into the ship. R2-D2 followed, still whistling happily. Qui-Gon turned to Anakin, and the boy walked up to him. Master Qui-Gon he said uncomfortably, riddled with doubt and guilt over what was happening. I don't want to be a problem. Qui-Gon placed a reassuring hand on his shoulder. You won't be, Annie. He glanced toward the ship, then knelt before the boy. I'm not allowed to train you, so I want you to watch me instead and be mindful of what you see. Always remember, your focus determines your reality. He paused, eyes locked on Anakin. Stay close to me, and you will be safe. The boy nodded his understanding. Can I ask you something? The Jedi Master nodded. What are midi-chlorians? Wind whipped at Qui-Gon's long hair, blowing strands of it across his strong face. Midi-chlorians are microscopic life-forms that reside within the cells of all living things and communicate with the Force. They live inside of me? the boy asked. In your cells. Qui-Gon paused. We are symbionts with the midichlorians. Symbi-what? Symbionts. Life forms living together for mutual advantage. Without the midichlorians, life could not exist, and we would have no knowledge of the Force. Our midichlorians continually speak to us, Annie, telling us the will of the Force. They do? Qui-Gon cocked one eyebrow. When you learn to quiet your mind, you will hear them speaking to you. Anakin thought about it a moment, then frowned. I don't understand. Qui-Gon smiled, and his eyes were warm and secretive. With time and training, Annie, you will. A pair of shuttles eased up to the loading dock, and Queen Amidala, her handmaidens, Captain Panaka, and an escort of officers and guards disembarked. Last off the second shuttle was Jar Jar Binks. Amidala was wearing a purple velvet travel cloak that draped her body in soft folds, and a gold-rimmed cowl that framed her smooth white face like a cameo portrait. Qui-Gon rose and stood waiting beside Anakin as the Queen and her handmaidens approached. "'Your Highness,' Qui-Gon greeted with a deferential inclination of his head. "'It will be our pleasure to continue to serve and protect you.' Amidala nodded. "'I welcome your help. Senator Palpatine fears the Federation means to destroy me.' "'I promise you we will not let that happen,' the Jedi Master advised solemnly. The queen turned and, with her handmaidens, followed Panaka and the Nabu guards and officers into the transport. Jar Jar hurried over and enveloped Anakin in a huge hug. "'We're going home, Annie!' he exclaimed with a grin. 
and Anakin Skywalker hugged him back. Moments later they were all aboard, and the sleek transport had lifted off, leaving Coruscant behind. It was night in the Naboo capital city of Theed, the streets empty and silent, save for the occasional passing of battle droid patrols and the whisper of the wind. In the Queen's throne room, Newt Gunray and Rune Hako stood attentively before a hologram of Darth Sidious. The hologram filled the space at one end of the room, rising up before them menacingly. The dark-cloaked figure at its center gestured. "'The Queen is on her way to you,' the Sith Lord intoned softly. "'When she arrives, force her to sign the treaty.' There was a momentary pause as the Nemoidians exchanged worried looks. Uh, "'Yes, my lord,' Newt Gunray agreed reluctantly. "'Viceroy, is the planet secure?' The dark figure in the hologram shimmered with movement. "'Yes, my lord,' Gunray was on firmer ground here. We have taken the last pockets of resistance, consisting of mostly primitive life forms. We are now in complete control. The faceless speaker nodded. Good. I will see to it that in the Senate things stay as they are. I am sending Darth Maul to join you. He will deal with the Jedi. Yes, my lord. The words were a litany. The hologram and Darth Sidious faded away. The Nemoidians stood where they were, frozen in place. A Sith Lord? Here with us? Rune Hako whispered in disbelief. And this time, Newt Gunray had nothing to say at all. 19. Aboard the Queen's transport, coming out of hyperspace and approaching the Naboo star system, Qui-Gon Jinn paused on his way to a meeting with the Queen to study Anakin Skywalker. The boy stood at the pilot's console next to Rick Oli. The Naboo pilot was bent forward over the controls, pointing each one out in turn and explaining its function. Anakin was absorbing the information with astonishing quickness, brow furrowed, eyes intense, concentration total. And that one? The boy pointed. The forward stabilizer. Riccoli glanced up at him expectantly, waiting. And those control the pitch? Anakin indicated a bank of levers by the pilot's right hand. Riccoli's weathered face broke into a grin. You catch on pretty quick. As quick as anyone he had ever encountered, Qui-Gon Jinn thought. That was the reason Anakin was so special. It gave evidence of his high midi-chlorian count. It suggested anew that he was the chosen one. The Jedi Master sighed. Why could the Council not accept that this was so? Why were they so afraid of taking a chance on the boy when the signs were so clear? Qui-Gon found himself frustrated all over again. He understood their thinking. It was bad that Anakin was so old, but not fatal to his chances. What troubled them was not his age, but the conflict they sensed within him. Anakin was wrestling with his parentage, with his separation from his mother, his friends, and his home, especially his mother. He was old enough to appreciate what might happen, and the result was an uncertainty that worked within him like a caged animal seeking to break free. The Jedi Council knew that it could not tame that uncertainty from without, that it could be mastered only from within. They believed Anakin Skywalker too old for this, his thinking and his beliefs too settled to be safely reshaped. He was vulnerable to his inner conflict, and the dark side would be quick to take advantage of this. Qui-Gon shook his head, staring over at the boy from the back of the cockpit. Yes, there were risks in accepting him as an apprentice, but few things of worth were accomplished in life without risk. The Jedi Order was founded on strict adherence to established procedures in the raising and educating of young Jedi, but there were exceptions to all things, even this. 
that the Jedi Council was refusing even to consider that this was an instance in which an exception should be made, was intolerable. Still, he must keep the faith he knew. He must believe. The decision not to train Anakin would be reconsidered on their return and reversed. If the Council did not embrace the boy's training as a Jedi voluntarily, then it would be up to Qui-Gon to find a way to make it do so. He turned away then and walked from the cabin to the passageways beyond and descended one level to the Queen's chambers. The others she had called together for this meeting were already present when he arrived. Obi-Wan gave him a brief neutral nod of recognition, standing next to a glowering Captain Panaka. Jar Jar Binks hugged the wall to one side, apparently trying to disappear into it. Amidala sat on her shipboard throne on a raised dais set against one wall, two of her handmaidens, Rabe and Erte, flanking her. Her white-painted face was composed, and her gaze cool as it met his own, but there was fire in the words she spoke next. "'When we land on Naboo,' she advised the Jedi Master after he had bowed and taken up a position next to Panaka, "'it is my intention to act on this invasion at once. My people have suffered enough.' Tanaka could barely contain himself, his dark face tight with anger. When we land, your highness, the Trade Federation will arrest you and force you to sign their treaty. Qui-Gon nodded thoughtfully, curious as to the Queen's thinking. I agree. I'm not sure what you hope to accomplish by this. Amidala might have been carved from stone. The Nabu are going to take back what is ours. There are only twelve of us. Panaka snapped, unable to keep silent. "'Your Highness,' he added belatedly, "'we have no army.' Her eyes shifted to Qui-Gon. "'The Jedi cannot fight a war for you, Your Highness,' he advised. "'We can only protect you.' She let her gaze drift from them to settle on Jar Jar. The Gungan was studying his toes. "'Jar Jar Binks,' she called. Jar Jar, clearly caught off guard, stiffened. Me, your highness? Yes, Amidala of the Nabu affirmed. I have need of your help. Deep in the Nabu swamps, at the edge of the lake that bore downward to the Gungan capital city of Otagunga, the fugitives from the Queen's transport were grouped at the water's edge, waiting for the return of Jar Jar Binks. Amidala and her handmaidens, the Jedi Knights, Captain Panaka, Anakin, R2-D2, Rick Oli, and several other pilots, and a handful of Naboo guards clustered uneasily in the misty silence. It was safe to say that even now no one but the Queen knew exactly what it was she was attempting to do. All she had been willing to reveal to those in a position to inquire was that she wished to make contact with the Gungan people, and Jar Jar would be her emissary. She had insisted on landing in the swamp, even after both Panaka and the Jedi had advised against it. A single battleship orbited the planet, all that remained of the Trade Federation blockade. Housed within was the control station responsible for directing the droid army that occupied Naboo. When Panaka wondered aloud at the absence of the other battleships, Qui-Gon pointed out rather dryly that you don't need a blockade once you control the port. Anakin, standing apart from the others with R2-D2, studied the group surreptitiously. Jar Jar had been gone a long time, and everyone but the Queen was growing restless. She stood wrapped in her soft robes, silent and implacable in the midst of her handmaidens. Padme, Erte, and Rabe had changed from their crimson-hooded cloaks into more functional trousers, tunics, boots, and long-waisted overcoats, and there were blasters strapped to their waists. The boy had never seen Padme like this, and he found himself wondering how good a fighter she was. As if realizing he was thinking of her, Padme broke away from the others and came over to him. "'How are you, Annie?' she asked quietly, her kind eyes locking on his. He shrugged. "'Okay. I've missed you. It's good to see you again. I'm sorry I haven't had a chance to talk with you before, but I've been very busy.' They hadn't spoken more than a few words to each other since leaving Tatooine, 
and Anakin hadn't even seen Padme since their departure from Coruscant. It had bothered him, but he'd kept it to himself. I I didn't... I... he stuttered, looking down at his boots. They decided not to make me a Jedi. He recounted the story for her, detailing the events surrounding his appearance before the Jedi Council. Padme listened intently, then touched his cheek with her cool fingers. They can change their minds, Annie. Don't give up hope. She bent close then. I have something to tell you. The Queen has made a painful, difficult decision, a decision that will change everything for the Nabu. We are a peaceful people, and we do not believe in war. But sometimes there is no choice. Either you adapt, or you die. The Queen understands this. She has decided to take an aggressive posture with the Trade Federation Army. The Nabu are going to fight to regain their freedom. Will there be a battle? he asked quickly, trying unsuccessfully to hide his excitement. She nodded. I'm afraid so. Will you be involved? he pressed. She smiled sadly. Annie, I don't have a choice. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan stood together some distance away. The Jedi still weren't speaking to each other, or only barely so. Their words on the journey out from Coruscant had been reserved almost exclusively for others. The hard feelings caused by Qui-Gon's to train Anakin did not soften. The boy had tried to talk to Obi-Wan once aboard the Queen's ship, just to say he was sorry this had happened, but the younger Jedi had brushed him off. Now, though, Obi-Wan was beginning to feel uncomfortable with the situation. He had been close with Qui-Gon for too long to let a momentary disagreement put an end to twenty-odd years of friendship. Qui-Gon was like a father to him, the only father he knew. He was angry that the Jedi Master would dismiss him so abruptly in favor of the boy, but he realized, too, the depth of Qui-Gon's passion when he believed in something. Training this boy to be a Jedi was a cause Qui-Gon championed as he had championed no other in Obi-Wan's memory. He did not do so to slight his protege. He did so because he believed in the boy's destiny. Obi-Wan understood. Who could say? Perhaps this time Qui-Gon was right. Perhaps Anakin Skywalker's training was a cause worth fighting for. I've been thinking, Qui-Gon announced suddenly, keeping his voice low, his eyes directed toward the others. We are treading on dangerous ground. If the Queen intends to fight a war, we cannot become involved, not even in her efforts to persuade the Gungans to join with the Nabu against the Federation, if that is what she intends by coming here. The Jedi have no authority to take sides. But we do have authority to protect the Queen, Obi-Wan pointed out. Qui-Gon's eyes shifted to find his. It is a fine line we walk, then. Master, Obi-Wan said, facing him now. I behaved badly on Coruscant, and I am embarrassed. I meant no disrespect to you. I do not wish to be difficult in the matter of the boy. Where have you been? The older Jedi replied, a faint smile appearing. You have been honest with me. Honesty is never wrong. I did not lie when I told the Council you were ready. You are. I have taught you all I can. You will be a great Jedi, my young Padawan. You will make me proud. They gripped hands impulsively, and as quickly as that, the breach that had opened between them was closed. Moments later, a dark shape broke the surface of the water with a splash, and Jar Jar Binks climbed from the lake, shaking water from his amphibious skin onto the assembled. Long ears dripping, billed mouth shedding water like a duck's, he shook his head worriedly. "'Tis nobody there! They's all gone!' His eye stock swiveled. "'Some kind of fight these have. Mechaniques, maybe. Very bombard. Otagunga empty. All Gungans gone. All gone!' Do you think they have been taken to the camps? Banaka asked quickly, glancing around at the group. 
More likely they were wiped out, Obi-Wan offered in disgust. But Jar Jar shook his head. Me no think so. Gungan's too smart. Go into hiding. When they in trouble, go to sacred place. Makanik's no find them there. Qui-Gon stepped forward. Sacred place, he repeated. Can you take us there, Jar Jar? The Gungan sighed heavily, as if to say, Here we go again, and beckoned for them to follow. They traversed the swamp for some time, first skirting the lake, then plunging deep into a forest of massive trees and tall grasses, following a water-screened pathway that connected a series of knolls. Somewhere in the distance, Trade Federation staps buzzed and whined as a search for the transport fugitives commenced in earnest. Jar Jar glanced about apprehensively as he picked his way through the fire, but did not slow. Finally, they emerged in a clearing of marshy grasses and stands of trees, with roots tangled so thickly they formed what appeared to be an impassable hedge. Jar Jar stopped, sniffed the air speculatively, and nodded. Descend it! He lifted his head and made a strange chittering noise through his pilled mouth, the sound echoing eerily in the silence. The group waited, eyes searching the misty gloom. This book is continued on this gate.